Good afternoon. This is Chickie Fitzgerald. This is the Executive Girlfriends Group, and it's Friday, August 19th, and it is my pleasure to introduce our very special guest today, Emily Nagel-Green, who uh, at the time she wrote her book, she was the president and CEO of the Yankee Group, and she is now the uh, chairman of the Yankee Group. And I think those of us who have had anything to do with technology in uh, the last couple of decades uh, are very, very aware of the Yankee Group and your research. But, Emily, for those who aren't familiar, why don't you first give us a, a thumbnail about you personally as a, as a woman, and, and then we'll move into uh, a little bit about the Yankee Group, and then I uh, would love to dive in uh, to the whole topic of global connectivity and Anywhere, which is your book. Thank you, and hi, everyone. I'm delighted to join you this afternoon. I can't think of a nicer way to end a week than to connect with some other women who are trying to make a difference in the world, and uh, so I'm happy to be here. Um, Let's see, a little bit about me. I'm going to be 54 shortly, but I don't look at it. I'm sure none of us on this call look our ages. Not after those great haircuts we all have. (laughs) (laughs) We all have fabulous hair. I know that. (laughs) I've been married for 23 years, and I have a daughter going off to college for the first time in a week, and uh, we've it's going to be my husband and me and the dog pretty soon. Um, as Chicky mentioned, I uh, was the president and CEO of Yankee Group Research. It's a 40-year-old technology research firm based here in Boston, and I was the CEO for five years. Uh, I helped lead the acquisition of the company by the current uh, ownership, the current investors, and uh, we uh, released my book last year, and I had such a Great time writing it. We had made so much progress in uh, transforming the research business itself that I decided that what I really wanted to do for my own next act was to give myself more of a portfolio life to keep a finger in with Yankee Group but free up some of my time to do other things, one of which would be to write another book. So um, for some crazy reason, I, ha- I have undertaken writing a second book. We'll see, we'll see how that works <laughs> Yeah, you know, when I wrote my first book, I told all my friends that if I ever told them I was writing another one, you know, to just like hit me on the side of the head because we could get the pain over right away. (laughs) Well, in that sense, I think it's a lot like having children because after you get through labor, you think I'll never do that again. Well, it's true. And my first book, actually, I took nine months to write it because I didn't know any better. And, Mm -hmm. And then I wrote three in the space of a year. Uh, they were more, you know, kind of research reports for the travel industry where I come from. And actually, it's so funny, Emily, because I, when I got your book in, I sat and I looked at it. And I thought, Don Tapscott, I know him. <laughs> and and he actually did some work. I'm pretty sure it was at Worldspan when we were looking at a global merger with uh, uh, Amadeus in Europe, which is oh. what I was hired to do. And he was the consultant who was brought in. Oh, how interesting! Well, he's yeah. Quite and I didn't a, mention uh, that to you earlier, but I I, uh, I reached out to him on LinkedIn because, of course, you know, global connectivity and and uh, revolutionizing the way we do business yeah. is what we're talking about. But isn't that funny that we yeah, have that in common? He is amazing, and talk about someone who has stayed current with technology. I, I if you follow him on Twitter, you'll hardly follow anybody else because he <laughs> constantly. But yeah, quite a thoughtful man, and I was delighted that he was willing to offer a forward to the book and an incredible endorsement. So I was very fortunate there. So tell us a little bit about being the CEO, president and CEO of of a, a group that serviced primarily 
technology and telecommunications, right? That's the sweet spot mm-hmm. of the Yankee yeah. Group's research. That's right. That's right. Well, I um, I parachuted myself into this job about six years ago, or into the CEO job about six years ago, because I uh, was between gigs. I had sold uh, another research firm that I had led, and I was thinking about what I wanted to do for my next act, and um, thinking about the possibility of starting another research firm, and I thought, well, that's that's all well and good, but I enjoy running things with a certain amount of scale to it. And I was complaining about this to a friend, and they said, well, you just need to buy a company and install yourself as a CEO. And I, they were <laughs> half kidding. And um, But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, there's something to that. If I have a point of view about an opportunity for a research firm to step out on some trends that I think are emerging in the tech sector, where I've spent 30 years, uh, then maybe my ideas would be a platform for extending the value that an existing research firm might uh, serve the industry. And I had known Yankee Group as a competitor of, in the research business for many years, and I knew the owners, and I approached them about their interest potentially in selling the firm. And long story short, I uh, ultimately convinced them to sell it, and I found investors to back me in buying it. And what we undertook about six years ago was the transformation of the research company into a mobile-centric research firm, a firm right. that would try to own the job of defining the transformation we felt was ahead at that point in um, how mobility affects our lives. Right, very interesting. Yeah, we um, I just came off of what, uh, and our listeners have heard uh, much about this story, but uh, I think I mentioned earlier I had built a company and, and raised uh, seven million dollars built out technology and and uh, it ended up being a spectacular failure for all the reasons why startups fail you know which which gives uh-huh. uh, the investment community heartburn but boy I learned so much but out of that we were doing an enormous amount of work with people like Panasonic Automotive and I've done a lot of work in in the mobile space in the past with Intel and and uh, Motorola and and uh, Siemens and I mean you name it and so have spent a lot of time in that world. But it's a pretty male-dominated world. So how how were you received in both that role and then, you know, clearly as, as you engineered your, your next move, uh, how has it been from the transition to bringing in someone else, uh, you know, to run the company and, and moving off? Well, I'll give the industry credit. I, I started my career as an engineer back in 1980, and it was a very, very different world then than it is in technology now. There still aren't nearly as many women as you'd like to see in, in technology, and particularly in leadership positions, but many, many more than there were even 10 years ago. So I don't, um, I don't waste a lot of my psychic energy on that topic, actually. I guess one of the things I've learned over 30 years in the tech sector is that the the best way to change that is to be good at what I do and right. to look for other women that are good and, and make sure I can sort of lend them a hand when I have the opportunity. And that's about all the energy I put into it at this point in my life. <laughs> well, bravo. I mean, that that's actually a great answer. Uh, to the question, and uh, so why don't we uh, shift gears just a little bit and, and talk about uh, you know kind of the genesis of the topic behind the book? Because I, I know that there's a lot of passion around uh, the whole concept of anywhere. It's more it's more than a book. It's it's actually yes. kind of a culture and a, and a topic uh, both within the Yankee Group and then the work that you're doing. 
That that's very true. That's very true. And it started long before um, I connected with McGraw Hill and and uh, was given the opportunity to write the book. It started as the precept for acquiring Yankee Group as a business, and it simply stated it was it was this: if the internet exploded onto our consciousness by and large uh, in the late 90s as as uh, a viable platform for commerce, for society, for government, and lots of other ways that we already interact with each other. And in the process of doing renovated almost any industry you could think of, travel, of course, being, being one of the earliest that was um, inexorably infe- affected by the ability of the Internet to level people's understanding of pricing and... and uh, the experiences they could um, take on. If the Internet transformed uh, our worlds and all all we initially had in, in order to have that transformation was a, a computer on a desk at home or at work with a relatively narrow band that is slow, low-capacity connection, what might ensue once the Internet and all of its richness would be available to us in our pockets? Uh, and in the early part of the 21st century, it wasn't entirely obvious to everybody that the Internet would, in fact, be that useful and available to us in our pockets. The handsets, telephone handsets, weren't that capable. But um, as a prediction, it's turned out to be spot on uh, because it, in 2010, most of us are carrying the Internet around in our pockets, and we are starting to see a revolution that's spawned by ubiquitous cellular telephone networks and ubiquitous smartphones and other uh, portable connected devices that I argue will be even more transformational going forward than the Internet was. And that was the basis for wanting to uh, lead Yankee Group to, to take the considerable analytical research resources within the company and aim them squarely at that issue. What changes when the world when all the people and all the things we care about are connected wirelessly, what changes? And for right. businesses, how do you prepare for that? Well, and clearly uh, at the end of a week where Google, uh, you know, stroked <laughs> to check for $12.5 billion to buy Motorola Mobility. Oh, that's just um, I, w- I would say that uh, that validates your assumptions yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty significantly. Yeah. I, I had had some prior experience in forecasting technology, but I do tell people my, my, my crystal ball is cracked. You know, if you're, if you're any good as an analyst, you just hope to get a few more predictions right than the ones you get wrong. But we started um, the current uh, transformation of Yankee Group as a research company with the presumption that it would be useful commercially to our customers and our future customers to focus our research energies on how and when and why um, the rest of the world and all of the things we care about would be connected in this wireless uh, global communications fabric. And we gave that thesis, that, that, that sort of vision of the future, we gave it a name. And the name that we gave it is Anywhere. And I think um, based on what everybody on the call had to say about their backgrounds and their uh, sense of how globalization is affecting them one way or another, I think that name turns out to be pretty appropriate just for this phone call. We called it Anywhere because I said, among other things, this transformation that would be revealed to us through the um, eventual ubiquity of wireless connectivity to us and our things um, was going to change the meaning of location forever. And it was going to make location both more important 
and less important. And so for Marge, uh, in consulting with corporate clients about business travel, and for Michelle, is it, that, that, who does property management, and for Cecilia uh, in um, the travel business, and for Rebecca in the user experience, I think the transformation of the role that geography and places play in our lives, because the network in many cases supplants those, right. I think it's going to be the largest change we all live through. Well, I I would agree, and you know we we have been exploring you know one of the kind of aspects of the venture that Rebecca and I were were involved in, uh, obviously had to do with mobility, but it, it, more importantly, it also had to do with with the different dimensions of who you are under different circumstances. So it isn't just location; it's uh, you know if someone is trying to serve me up content on a mobile phone and I'm by myself and I'm hungry. I don't want to have to browse through, you know, 12,000 choices, you know, that that Google might serve up to me. What I really want to know is which Indian and Thai and, you know, kind of new kind of restaurants are available. And when my kids are with me, I want something completely different. And so I think there's going to be an added dimension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think right now people are focused on on location, and they have to get their arms around what you just said. And I actually love that changing the meaning of location forever. And uh, uh, you know, I watch this in the travel industry where everything is about location, and they don't understand as an industry um, that you know only a certain percentage of the population actually know where they want to go, and they're missing out on the whole possibility <laughs> of marrying what you like to do with where you're going and want to right, do that thing. Right, right. Well, what I've, what I've said to people, and I, I truly believe, is that in one sense this revolution in mobility that I call anywhere is making location less important because more yeah. and more often it doesn't matter where we are because the ubiquity of the network lets us sort of jack into the activities that we need to do regardless of location. How many of us are doing this call today from home, but it's but it's really about a business conversation. And it's going to cause uh, many businesses, has already begun to cause many businesses, to rethink um, their physical presence around the world. How many countries do I actually need to have an office in, and how right. important is that space? But in another sense, it's making location more important because it's giving us the opportunity for the first time to add location as a dimension of our decision-making around commerce and uh, entertainment and all these other experiences. It can be woven into our lives because the smarts to do that are in our pockets. Exactly. Emily, um, when you put this book together, um, it it looks like you did some interviewing. So who did you talk to and what did you learn from them? Well, I had some great advice before I started the book. I I have a number of friends in the tech sector, uh, many of them based here in Boston, who have written books. And I went around on a little preliminary research project of my own as a researcher, asking each of them, what what was the smartest thing you did when you wrote your book and what do you wish you'd done better? And one friend of mine said, the smartest thing I did was find a bunch of smart people to research because I thought initially that writing the book was all about demonstrating how smart I am. But I realized that interviewing them gave me more confidence in what I had to say, and it also gave me more voices to lend and mm-hmm. made it more interesting for the reader. And so I took that to heart, and I set myself a challenge of interviewing 25 people for the book. And I had so much fun in the interviewing process, and it was so revelatory in terms of adding 
texture to what we had to say that I ended up interviewing over 50 people. <laughs> and I did a balance. I, did, I talked with a lot of um, communications sector executives, uh, the CEO of Alcatel-Lucent, uh, CEO of Nokia Siemens Networks, uh, executives at Sprint and uh, Qualcomm, many, many uh, technology firms that are the reason the cellular communications network is, is, um, is as rich and capable as it is. But I also talked to people that were doing interesting things with um, mobile infrastructure, putting it to work, and, and uh, gave me some examples for how it's changing things. Uh, uh, the uh, chief uh, medical officer and technology executive for Partners in Health, a nonprofit organization that works in Haiti, Rwanda, and elsewhere in the world to try to reimagine healthcare in developing markets. And he talked to me about how mobile phones and um, mobile data networks are changing how they can deliver healthcare. And I talked to uh, the head of mobile banking at Bank of America about how uh, the mobile handset platform is forcing them to rethink providing customer care and providing services as a retail bank to their customers. So it was an interesting mix of um, tech geeks like me and people that maybe don't understand the technology very much but had a vision for something they wanted to do and saw that the, the revolution in mobility could be brought to bear for that opportunity. Right, right. So you start off the book talking about the Anywhere customer. And so you've mentioned a little bit in, in your introduction about how that customer looks different than the customer did even 10 years ago. When, when we already had the Internet invading our lives, you know, pretty significantly even then. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we couldn't live without our mobile phones. And, and you know, I, I see in my own life and in my own family uh, first of all, the number of iPads we have in our household is really obscene, um, and and the amount of time I see my children, you know, sitting on those devices and and you know just really being able to be self entertaining with things that are actually quite educational. I, uh, I I'm the same age as you, but I, I have young children, so uh, you know that adds an interesting dimension to our household. But but from a consuming perspective and and those that we're trying to reach with our products and our services or that we're trying to help our B2B customers because many of us are in the B2B business uh, as opposed to B2C. How do you have to think differently about that consumer? What does it look like in the future? Well, I I call this this consumer a a completely new breed. We've always had this desire since... since, since we got up on two feet to take things with us, uh, we have this latent appetite for portability. But with the exception of things like the Sony Walkman, there weren't a lot of things that we could take with us in in the tech sector um, until recently. And as um, mobile phones, and specifically smartphones with, with reasonable Internet capability and tablets and um, netbooks and ultralight laptops, as those things got to be affordable and um, viable for us, it's unleashed a new set of expectations. A lot of us remember someday in the early years of the Internet when we came to work and realized that we had suddenly inherited an expectation from our customers that our stores were open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And a lot of the jokes about... um, you know, shopping in your underwear and and uh, doing things at three o'clock in the morning. We've really just taken that to the next degree. Not only do we expect things mm-hmm. to be open 24/7 and available to us 24/7, we also expect our 
the businesses we interact with, and this is true whether or not we're in our consumer mode or our worker mode, so it's true. It's as true for B2B operations as, as it is for B2C operations. We expect these businesses to meet us wherever we are and with whatever device we have in an appropriate way. So <laughs> if, if the challenge of the Internet's commercialization was to um, stand, up, <clears throat> excuse me, stand up a business that could be available to our customers 24 hours a day on a computer, it's now stepped up exponentially to... And I now expect you to be available to me on a BlackBerry. Oops, no, I'm not using a BlackBerry anymore. I'm using a iPhone. Oops, no, I changed to an Android smartphone. And now I got a tablet. And I want you, my brand that I spend money with, to be to appear in a meaningful, appropriate way on all these devices. And the devices aren't homogeneous anymore. The days of uh, Microsoft very nicely. Uh, neutering the differences between a Dell laptop and a Hewlett-Packard laptop so that uh, application software could appear the same on either of those computers. Those days are largely gone, and we're entering a world of heterogeneous devices, all of which could be channels to our workers, our customers, our employees, um, our partners. But um, we have to think, as as business people, we have to think about the appropriate manifestation of our experience on this diversity of devices. So it's a mm-hmm. it's a naughty problem. I mean, it's not it's not a simple one, but it's no. an imperative in this expansion and explosion of connected things. Right, and and you're so right. I mean, a couple of weeks ago on on the call, we were talking about my son had gone off to. Uh, to church camp, and when he came back, uh, we had done like an HGTV makeover of his room. And But the angst I went through over the weekend when I realized I couldn't decide on Friday afternoon that I wanted this bedspread and have it arrive by Tuesday morning, I mean, it's like, you're kidding. Fifteen years after the Internet, you still don't have a way, you know, for me to place an order on Friday and actually get it on Tuesday. Right. And so that, that whole time expectation, it's not just shopping – Seven by twenty-four, but we we don't believe that businesses actually still operate kind of the old way of of processing orders, you know, manually outside of some system. But but you're so right about the device issue, and it's so easy to get critical of companies, you know, that I know are spending, you know, probably already in the millions of making sure that their systems, you know, have been ported to all those platforms. But just keeping up with the change has got to be mammoth. It's scary, and, and for businesses the size of American Express, for instance, the investment is going to be in the eight figures. It's going to be in the tens of millions or right. hundreds of millions before before this phase hits any kind of maturity because we're just at the front end of this, this, this gig because now we're talking about smartphones and tablets, but it's my contention that many, many more of the things in our lives are going to take on connectivity, wireless connectivity, because it adds a level of utility to those devices in the same way that electricity made those tools useful um, a generation ago. And as more and more of the things around us become connected, our cars, our appliances, um, in the next five to ten years, brands that are just wrestling now with the diversity in smartphones and tablets are going to start asking themselves, what's the appropriate way for my brand to appear and to function on a device that happens to be connected to the Internet but maybe doesn't have a conventional screen and keyboard the way a computer right. does, but it has some level of sensors and functionalities that I can take advantage of as a company to deliver some value to my customer. 
Right. right. I don't know if you're uh, familiar with what Panasonic is doing with AT&T with the uh, Connect, Connected City and Connected Car project. They're uh-huh. piloting uh-huh. it in uh, Peachtree City, Georgia. But we've been taking a look at how we might, uh, you know, partner with them on various things in that. But it's so hard, you know. Uh, Panasonic had asked me if I would be willing to talk to a number of uh, folks in the travel industry, and it's like, you know, people can't even get their arms around that difference in concept. It's like, well, I'm already in the car like I'm on the Google map. Well, you know, that's not precisely what we're talking about. Right. And Well, and there, the it's, whole... it's like that book. Um, I don't remember the name of the book now. I'd have to look it up. But it was there was a cute little book years ago about a two-dimensional land where people only thought in two dimensions. And somebody showed up from the third dimension. And everybody in the two-dimensional land was about lines and squares squares and circles and and this this character appeared from the third dimension that was a sphere or a cube and they just they couldn't understand that third dimension and that's that's exactly where we are with connected oh, things that's I, I, great i would love to know the name of that book i'll 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 i'll, I'll, uh, I'll track it down and i'll send it to you after our conversation this is oh, this I is where we that. are with connected things i collect them and i have a connected umbrella and I have a connected pill bottle, and I have a f- whole bunch of other things that are connected. And it's a fun exercise when I meet people and talk about this to invite them to speculate on why you'd want a connected umbrella. People really get stuck. But once I help them through the thought process of the virtues of a connected umbrella and how it changes and enhances the functionality of an umbrella, it starts to open up their minds to what might happen to the other objects in their lives. So, okay, so do tell what what so is. So connected umbrella. I'll I'll well let's let's test you. I'll tell you what it does, and then you tell me why it's useful. It has a little light on the handle. You can buy this at Brookstone, by the way. It has a little light on the handle, and it glows blue. That's all it does, and it's connected to the um, network. Uh, and sometimes it glows blue. So you tell me why why it would do that. As the humidity increases or it receives information about weather coming into your proximity. Exactly. It tells you that it's about to rain, and that's useful because the the, the one time an umbrella is useless to you when it's raining is when you don't when have it. When it's in your car, and you're right. not. <laughs> so it lives, it lives by my front door. I walk to work, and I can look at the umbrella on my way out the door. It's a gl- piece of glanceable information, which is a term that oh, I love was coined it. by some people at MIT Media Lab. You just glance at it. You don't have to read anything. And if that soft little blue light is just sort of gently pulsing, then I know that rain has been predicted where I am sometime in the next 24 hours, and I take the oh, umbrella. Wow. So, That's you know, cool. I think what's going to happen, right Right now we're just at the cusp of wrestling with the explosion of smartphone technology and the expectation that the 24-7 culture of the Internet is now expanding to a global culture so that anywhere we are has to be avail- has to be able to provide us with the resources we want as a worker and a consumer. But what's going to happen after that? is this explosion in new connected devices. Wow. So talk to me a little bit about what an Anywhere Enterprise looks like, an organization that has embraced the concept of the Anywhere customer. How do they transform themselves, uh, you know, all the way from the front end in in marketing, you know, all the way through product development and and rollout of products and customer support? What does that look like? Well, my my definition of an anywhere enterprise is an organization that that is 
is using the network, the, the global network infrastructure, which isn't just cellular networks, to, to be fair, but, you know, there's a diversity of uh, digital network technologies out there, but, you know, let's not get into the nuts and bolts of it. But it's a company that's using the global network infrastructure to uh, connect to all of its uh, people, whether they're employees or customers or partners, and all of the things and processes in their business. And that actually is orders of magnitude more advanced than, than the average company today. Even companies that have invested a lot of energy, like Bank of America, for instance, in mobile websites, uh, have a long way to go in becoming an anywhere enterprise because it means looking at mm -hmm. the processes within your business and asking where could I add connectivity to a thing or to an activity to collapse costs that are buried in the expenditure of time or the expenditure of distance. So as an example, a manufacturing operation like Hewlett-Packard, they make printers. Years ago, um, Walmart was a very forward-thinking organization and said, we want to start seeing that the devices and the products that arrive on our loading docks for our distribution centers have um, wireless uh, connectivity attached to them in the form of something that's called a tag because then we can wave uh, tag scanners on our loading dock and automatically read off of pallets and trucks what's coming into our warehouses. And that forced an adoption of wireless technology by many of Walmart's vendors, including Hewlett-Packard. And they have since pulled that same wireless technology into their factories, and they can now track how parts move around the factory floor, and they can see where time is being wasted, where parts are piled up at a particular station because the machine is broken, and they can start mm. to investigate where they're wasting time and labor. So mm. adding connectivity to the manufacturing process for, for Hewlett-Packard allows them to collapse time and save money. So there are lots of businesses out there that are starting to look at adding connectivity to things. So there's a mining company in Australia that has put connectivity on miners' helmets. Mm. And again, that's a fun little thought exercise if you stop for a moment and think, why would I want to be able to hear from a miner's helmet with, through the network? And the answer is you might want to be able to find that miner underground if the oh, mine yeah. shaft collapsed. And you also might want to make sure that your ventilation systems underground actually have a current dynamic inventory of people that are consuming oxygen and creating carbon dioxide below ground so that you can make sure you're uh, ventilating the right shafts in the mine. So there are lots of opportunities within businesses to add connectivity to things and become an anywhere enterprise, really collapsing the, the uh, costs of uh, space in the business. Wow. Well, Emily, I, I could go on and on and on about this topic <laughs> so because could I. <laughs> it is just fascinating. And you know, I'll tell you what, I ca I cannot wait. I have not uh, had time to read your book. It just came while I was on vacation. Um, but just for our listeners, I just want to walk them through uh, kind of the table of contents because I, I think it's a fascinating approach. And for those of you who are data hounds. Uh, of course, with Emily's background with Yankee uh, Group, this is uh, the book is heavily laden with really, really great, simple to understand uh, charts and uh, 
I am am uh, just a connoisseur of of book layout, as you might imagine, <laughs> with interviewing uh, at least uh, an author a week for the last three years. I've seen a lot of books that, while the content might be great, they're painful uh, to go through. Yeah. But your book uh, is laid out just beautifully. Um, she starts out uh, with part one, which is Welcome to Anywhere, which has the Anywhere Revolution going from somewhere to anywhere. Anywhere and taking a look at the where and when dimension. And then the whole section, uh, part two, is is a, a significant part of the book about the Anywhere consumer, the emerging portability of experience, meet the Anywhere consumer of the future, our Anywhere appetites, and then she moves on to the Anywhere enterprise, which we just talked about. Um, the Anywhere consumer goes to work and the enterprise goes anywhere. And then the last uh, and probably the most important part of the book is part four, which is profiting from anywhere. So how anywhere do you need to be in your company, um, you know, in pushing uh, your partner companies, uh, you know, to be what they need to be, uh, particularly those of us in, in the B2B world, how to go anywhere, some anywhere unknowns and anywhere final thoughts. So I highly encourage you to read Emily Nagel Green's book, Anywhere. Emily, can you tell our listeners who are not live on the call today um, what the best way is to communicate with you, whether it's following you on Twitter? Uh, just let us know that, and uh, we will make sure also to pass that on to our members on the Executive Girlfriends Group site. Well, sure. I I appreciate everybody's interest. Uh, I'm easily reached. I'm egreen at yankeegroup.com. That's my email address. And on Twitter, I'm Emily Nagel Green. I don't tweet as much as I should. My my daughter is probably a bigger <laughs> tweeter than I am. Um, <laughs> but I respond to my email, and uh, I I love the topic. If you find connected things, connected objects that you think would be interesting for my virtual collection of connected devices. I'd love to hear about them. Yeah, I would like to top the uh, the umbrella. I'm going to start looking. <laughs> <laughs> I sent my kids a note yesterday that uh, I, I saw, um, I'm not, not even remembering now who came out with it, but they, they came up with a small device that actually goes in their backpack, So and it's a GPS device. Yep, yep. Um, kid tracking devices are increasingly... Uh, Common. There's a there's yeah, a pets. amusement park in Abu Dhabi that gives you one when you when you arrive for the day, and it's a it's a locket that the kids can wear around the park, so you can always find oh, them. Oh wow! Yeah, I, you know I think Disney's looking at that too, and um, I, I also yeah. saw pets because you know we're right in the middle of hurricane yep. season, and they always tell you that if you if you can't do like the chip in bed thing in your pet, mm-hmm. you need to take a look at a, a GPS uh, thing. But, you know, my cat, uh, very quickly after we brought him home from the pet store, figured out how to get his collar off. So I can't imagine <laughs> how, to, how to get Jojo to wear a GPS. But uh, if I figure that out, I'll let you know. <laughs> All right. Well, Emily, it has been uh, just delightful. We went a little bit longer than I had promised you we would. But uh, no I am going to end the recorded uh, part of the call here pretty soon, but I I just want to make sure if we have any uh, questions or comments from the folks who are live on the call, I always like to give them a chance. So, uh, ladies, is there anybody who would like to to chime in? Oh, hi, it's Cecilia, Chicky, and Emily. Um, Just really quick, I just wanted to comment on uh, the, the direction of the call was really great with the mobile and everything that's going on, and I find it fascinating and i also find it you know it's it's very overwhelming as a you know business trying to adapt 
um, I had an interesting observation, which really is more related to the, the younger generation and their mindset on mobile is unbelievable. Um, and obviously, I think that's driving a lot of it. And I, in, in my company, um, where customers are, you know, adding attractions um, and buying them from us and then printing out uh, a, piece, a document to go to an attraction and have it scanned to get in, we started using QR codes because they, they keep more information and it allows us to reach out to customers and they can add and change. And I heard a, uh, a young woman talking about her past. She goes, oh, and I was expecting to get this book. Then you sent me the mobile phone thing. And at that point in time, it never even occurred to me that someone was going to use this on their mobile phone. But she saw the code and it meant nothing but mobile to her. And it didn't even mean mobile to me. And it was so amazing and it shifted the whole, we, we had to stop everything train our attractions to accept mobile phones and push this out as a mobile attraction pass because that's what the customers were telling us we had to do because they don't think any other way. And it was amazing. And it, I just I find the whole thing very fascinating. Um, and it's moving so fast. It's hard it to keep is. up. It's, it's, it's an exponential adoption. And, and uh, somebody years ago, I think it was Ray Kurzweil, said about exponential phenomena that – one of their characteristics is that you don't think anything's happening until it crosses over some point and then it suddenly feels like it's exploding onto the scene. And it's really 5 billion people around the world now have these phones. And we now have a generation of kids that never didn't have them. So yeah. that's what's creating this tremendous platform that we suddenly feel we can't do without. Yep. Amazing. Great call. Thank you very much. All right. Anybody else? Okay, great. Well, I'm going to turn off the recorded portion, and we'll just take a couple of minutes to catch up on a personal level. So, uh, again, Emily, thank you so much, and you're welcome to hang on, uh, but I am going to terminate the recorded portion. So hang on All one right, second. My pleasure.